Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. So we got, the, the, though we face challenges, um, God continues to work and, and, and bless. And um, I, uh, you know, I said something about bad news. Now, some people would think that the message I'm about to bring is also bad news. But Jesus starts this part of his Sermon on the Mount, greatest Sermon on the Mount, by saying, blessed are you. We looked at that last week. You may have to go look at it again if you don't know what that means. But basically what Jesus says is, congratulations. That's what that word blessed is translated from the Greek word makarios. It means it's just congratulations. And what we're going to talk about, you may say, really, Joe? Well, Jesus said it. And I want you to look at it. Now, I had a couple people last week say, Joe, why didn't you include verse 11 in the Beatitudes? You, you, you stopped short. Why'd you do that? Well, there's a, a reason I did that. So if you have your Bibles open already to Matthew chapter 5, if you don't get them, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16 today, but you may want to back up a hair and take a look at verses uh, 3 through 10, the, the, those that we know of and call the, the Beatitudes. Um, and the reason I don't include verse 11 with the Beatitudes is because Jesus makes a seismic shift in the use of personal pronouns between verses 10 and 11, okay? He makes this seismic shift. If you go back and you look at verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all of those, Jesus uses third-person personal pronouns. So like in verse 4, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, third-person personal pronouns. When we get to verse 11, now he does it in all verses 3 through 10. When we get to verse 11, Jesus makes this significant shift in the use of personal pronouns. So read with me, if you would, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, blessed are who? You. He's getting real personal now. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 12, 13. You are the light, the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Now, do you understand why I didn't pin, pin those together? I think verse 11 lands better with 12 through 16 than it does with verses uh, 3 through 10. Jesus, in this greatest sermon, he makes this great shift, and now he directs it. He gets very personal with folks here. Remember last week, we talked about he began with these uh, groups of people that no one thought would ever have access to a rich relationship with God. Basically, they, they thought it impossible for the groups of people that Jesus named to ever really come into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, hey, good news, good news, you're welcome. Kingdom is near. Just come on in. Just receive me, trust me, believe in me, follow me. And you can step into the kingdom of God. And I think on that day, many came. But then one of the things that I love so much about my Lord Jesus is he had just extended this incredible grace. And now he's going to tell the truth about even that grace. Okay? He's going to tell the truth. He's going to tell the truth about life and the kingdom of God in the here and now. What's going to happen right now? And he's going to tell us, it's not for wimps. It's not for weak-willed folks. It's, just, it's not. So Jesus started with grace. Now he dies in the truth and dives into truth. And, and I, I wonder, if I went out and did a man-on-the-street interview today, 
And I asked this question, who do you believe is the most persecuted group of people on the planet today? I don't think most people on the street would tell you Christians. But that's the truth. Now, it may even surprise some of you in here. But globally, Christians are the most persecuted people on the planet. And friends, I believe that this is actually the most underreported, unnoticed, overlooked news on planet Earth today. There's a secular organization. Its uh, title is the International Society for Human Rights. They are not a Christian organization. And not long ago, they, they report it. They report regularly on these things. Not long ago, they reported that over 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world today are targeted at Christians. Now, throughout history, you know, f- for the last 2,000 years of, of the Christian church and, and the Christian faith, we know that Christians have been persecuted. Most of you, if you know history of the early church, know that for the first 300 years of the church's existence, the church was illegal in the Roman Empire, which was pretty much the whole known world at the time. It was illegal to be a Christian. So they were feeding Christians the lions. Crazy Emperor Nero was uh, pouring hot wax over Christians and lighting them as candles to, to, to light the streets. We know about, after that even, other cleansings, if you would, throughout history and, and tortures and being burned at the stake of Christians over the, the past 2,000 years. But here's what a lot of Christians don't even know, that the worst persecution of people of our faith has happened in the last 100 years. For those 2,000 years, uh, estimates are that over 70 million followers of Jesus have been martyred for their faith, directly for their faith, killed, killed for their faith. But what's most shocking about that number is that 35 million of those, half of those, died in the last 100 years. Just the last 100 years. Here's another current statistic. Every 10 minutes on planet Earth, two Christians are martyred for their faith. So if we're here for 70 minutes, 14 followers of Jesus will die because they, they follow Jesus. Friends, anybody who thinks that being a follower of Jesus is easy is sadly mistaken. It's not for wimps, not for the faint of heart. Now, in our country, we may not be experiencing that level of persecution and oppression, but you know you see it. It is growing in our own nation. Uh, and we've got to be willing to, refa- to, to face some things. We've got to be willing to face the hostility of rejection and criticism and peer pressure and disapproval and, and face harassment. We, we must be willing to face the hostility that will come from following Jesus in our day and time. Now, Paul wrote about this in, in his day. And he wrote to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.12, we read this, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Bible says guaranteed. If you will follow Jesus, if you will really follow him and live for him and follow his teachings and make them your life, there are going to be people who will oppose you. And so today... I want to be really, really, really practical. I think last week we spent a lot of time being kind of theological. This time I want to be really, really practical. And I want to do that because I see, I think you do too, it growing worse here in our own nation. That the opposition to people of faith, followers of Jesus, is, is rising. And I'm convinced it's only going to increase. And as your pastor, one of the things that I'm called to do is to help us handle hostility to our faith. And so today we're going to look at three things that we need to focus our mind on and six actions that we need to be focused on when we're feeling persecuted, when we're feeling uh, oppressed. Those are the things that we're going to look at today. And because it's growing, we need to, we need to think deeply uh, about these. 
very, very deeply about these. Now, one of the things that I think it's so important to grab hold of is I need to prepare my mind in advance for when it comes. So I need to have a mind that can focus in such a way that I can face and handle hostility for my faith. And here's the first biblical truth that we need to engage with our minds if we're going to handle hostility in a righteous way, and it's this. is handling hostility righteously will mean that it will make me more like Jesus. It makes me more like Jesus. And friends, that's a good thing. That is a good thing to become more like Jesus. Jesus experienced much opposition, incredible open hostility. And when Jesus taught his disciples about about that part of the world, he said this. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now follow me on this. If we're going to grow to be like Jesus, and that means to act and feel and think like Jesus, we're going to have to go through what Jesus went through. Were there times when Jesus was lonely? Yeah. Were there times when when Jesus was tempted to be discouraged? Yes. Were were there times when Jesus was fatigued and worn out and and, and tempted? And were there times that he was maligned and and ridiculed and uh, accused falsely? Yes. All of those are true about Jesus about God's son. Now, what makes us think that to become like him, God's not going to have to take us through some of the same things? We're going to have to go through some of the exactly same experiences that Jesus had. Now, I said a moment ago, it's not, uh, our faith is not for the, the, the faint of heart, for weaklings or wimps. See, Jesus said if they persecuted him, they will persecute us. I think you remember, if you read the Gospels, you know Jesus was hated by many people. He was hated by mostly the religious leaders of the day. But he was, re- he was hated by leaders, um, secular leaders even. But Jesus was loved by broken sinners. Deeply loved by broken sinners. He was hated by people who hated goodness. He was hated by people who love the darkness and hate light. And you may not believe this, but I believe this with my whole heart. If Jesus had waited to come to earth in our generation, our culture would kill him today. Our culture would still crucify Jesus today. Why? Because we're no different. Our world has not changed. Darkness still hates light. Evil still hates goodness. And here's what this means. Even if you could figure out how to become perfect. Okay, let's just say you, for the sake of the conversation, you could figure out how to become perfect. Our culture's still going to hate you. There are going to be people that are still going to hate you. There, there's this myth that a lot of people carry around in their minds. If I could just be more winsome or more likable or more like this or more perfect, everybody will like me. The only perfect human being that ever walked the planet was deeply hated by many. That's, that's a myth that, that just busts wide open. You're never going to get to the point where everybody loves you and everybody likes you. Uh, Pastor Kurt used to tell us all the time, if everybody likes you, what? You're lying to somebody. Okay? You're just lying to somebody. Because no, it, it's not going to happen. You're going to face hostility as a follower of Jesus. But look at what God's word promises because we gotta, we got to hold on to these. 1 Peter 4, 14, it says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Congratulations. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. One of the ways that you can know that you're walking with and living for Jesus and following him is you're going to find yourself criticized at times and judged at times and ridiculed at times and mocked at times. And Jesus says when those things happen, Jesus wants you to look into his face and hear him say, congratulations. 
Congratulations. This is, this is a, a, a stamp of, of approval because you can know that the spirit of glory and God rests on you in those moments. See, this isn't bad news. It's, it's actually, there, there's good news here. And we need, to, we need to grasp this. See, God tells us over and over again that followers of Jesus, we're going to encounter hostility. You know? And, and we've got to be prepared for that. Now, that does not mean that we go out and intentionally stir the water for criticism. But if you follow Jesus, you're going to experience that. You're going to experience hostility that will come. And that will mean that you are growing more like Jesus. So to handle this hostility for my faith, I, I need to grab hold of this. Second truth is this. Handling hostility righteously will fortify my faith. I will actually see my faith deepen. I'll be more like Jesus and my faith will get deepened. It's actually one of the ways, one of the most prominent ways our faith grows. Is it coming under pressure, uh, under tension? It's the same way you grow a muscle. You do not grow a muscle by sitting on the couch eating lemon pie. You don't. You got to get up. That, that muscle has to be stretched and, and, and strained and, and, and worked at. You know, if you've ever been to a gym and used weights in your life, you know one of the things that happens is it creates tension against your muscle. There's a, a stress and a strain and a pressure put on it that pulls into the opposite direction. And you're never going to grow the muscle of your faith without experiencing some pressure and tension. And our faith grows in hostility. Your faith, quite frankly, will never get deeper if there's not going to be some direct tension placed on it, if you never face any opposition. See, I believe without a doubt, the people with the strongest faith on our planet don't live in the United States of America. They live in other places around the world where people are holding guns and demanding that they renounce Jesus. Or, or, dead, or die. And this is happening all over the world. Right now. This moment. In 1 Peter chapter 1. One of the things you're going to notice about today's message is we're going to 1 Peter a lot. Uh, it's probably the epistle that most handles the issue of persecution of believers. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7 we read these. He says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. It's going to feel like fire, uh, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, see, Scripture tells us that our faith gets fortified through these trials. It says it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Can you just imagine that? On the day of Jesus' return... When he comes back, there will be this moment in time, if your faith has stood the trials, if you have followed him in that, it says you will receive praise and glory and honor. Who do you think that's going to come from? It's coming from Jesus. On the, it didn't say a thousand years later in all eternity. It says on that day, on that day, Jesus is going to praise you and honor you for having faced this hostility, for having handled this hostility to your faith. Additionally, a third biblical truth that we've got to form in our minds if we're going to handle hostility to our faith is this. We've got to understand that handling hostility will bring heavenly rewards You'll experience rewards for all eternity if you stand the heat in the here and now. All eternity. We'll, we'll jump in and out of, of the Beatitudes and, and our passage from Matthew uh, today. But go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is what? Kingdom of heaven. It goes on and says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, 
for your reward is great in heaven. There's eternal reward. God says, I want to uniquely bless anybody who stands faithful in the face of persecution and hostility. And it will exist in heaven forever and ever. Now, please notice something that this does not say. This, this does not say that you'll be rewarded for being rude. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that you'll be rewarded for being an obnoxious Christian. There are far too many out there who are living self-righteous lives, looking down on others, putting everybody else down. And friends, guess what happens when you put people down? They're going to come back at you. They're going to put you down. That is not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's not what that is. That's getting your self-righteous rudeness, you know, what it deserves. That, that's what that is. That's not being a martyr. Quite frankly, this harsh word, but it's just being a jerk. That's, that's all it's being. And there are no heavenly rewards for that. N- none whatsoever. See, we only get rewarded for being like Jesus. That's, that's where the reward comes. And God tells us when we share our faith, we need to do it with gentleness. We need to do it with respect for the other person. So those are, those are three biblical truths that we need to have our minds formed around if we're going to handle hostility as it comes. As it comes. And, it, and it's going to come for anybody who's truly going to follow Jesus. Now, let's move from what we need to focus our thoughts on to how we need to focus our actions because there's six actions that if you engage them will help you righteously handle the hostility that comes. Now, again, maybe never in in your lifetime or, or my lifetime will we have to deal with violent kind of oppression and persecution here in the United States. But here's what's already here. Silent suppression. People want to suppress your voice. People want to keep you from speaking truth in love. People want to to silence you. And I especially feel this for for you guys, our teens, our young people. I I feel this for you. And, And as your pastor, I want you to hear me say, I pray about this for you fervently. And it tears at my heart when I think about the peer pressure that you guys are under to conform to the world. And church, I need to say to all of you, you need to be much in prayer about this for our young people. Much in prayer about this for our young people, that God will protect and, and preserve them. And I want you to hear that if I can help you in any way, I want to. And I know Garrett and and Ty and Gabby, our whole student ministry team exists to help you live for Jesus in the world. And and, now church, some of you may not know this, but God is doing a great work in our student ministry right now. Kids are coming in, in gangs on Wednesday nights and bringing friends. They're talking about their faith on the campus and some of them are taking heat for it. And we want you to know we love you and we're praying for you and we want to help and we're there for you. So know that, please. And church, pray. Pray for our young people that are in this fire. Pray pray for them. They don't, you don't have to endure this alone. And if you're an adult and you're in a, a, a place of great persecution at work or something, God is there with you, with, with all of you. So what, what actions do we need to engage in those moments when we're facing hostility. Because every single day, our culture is becoming more and more anti-Christian. And in fact, I just read a study about two weeks ago, I think the study is about three or four weeks old, um, that came out that said by 2045, in the year 2045, everything kind of continues on the path it's on, in the year 2045, Christians will be a minority religious group in the United States. Just let that sink in for a minute. That means our numbers will have increased, our influence, I mean, our numbers will have decreased, and our influence will have diminished even more, while hostility is going to increase. So what do we do? How do we engage in a world like that? 
Here's the first thing you got to do. You got to, don't be shocked. Don't, don't be shocked by this. Don't, don't, it's coming. It's here in many ways already. We should no longer expect that the world is going to support our decisions to follow Jesus. We, 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 we shouldn't. Now, we, we've talked about this, but again, I want to take you back to, to the scripture, Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. It's not, it's not if anymore. It is, it is when. Don't be shocked. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, dear friends, don't be surprised or shocked. It just don't, don't be surprised or shocked that you are going through testing that feels like walking through fire. Jesus told us in this world we're going to have tribulation, so don't be surprised. Second action, don't be, don't worry, worship. Don't give in to worry, instead worship. Because Jesus said he's going to be with us. He congratulated us. Remember Matthew 5, 11, blessed. Congratulations, makarios are you when these things come. There's a way to experience this in the blessing of God. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. In those moments, lean into Jesus like you've never leaned on him before. Lean into who he says you are. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, you, you're the salt of the earth. You, you're, you're the light of the world. See, those statements, that's how God in heaven sees you. That's the truth about you, and you need to lean into that truth. God says, you are what is going to preserve goodness in the world today. You are what will bring holy flavor to an unholy world. You are light in the darkest of places. See, the scripture tells us that Jesus is the light of the world, but here Jesus is applying his identity to us. He's saying, this is the truth about you. You're in me and I am in you. You're the light of the world and we need to draw on that identity and not what the world says about us. We've got to listen to what Jesus says about us. So don't worry. Instead, worship. So, so how, do you, how, do you get, how do you get around, get over, get, uh, get away from this, this worry about the hostility? How do you not worry about uh, disapproval or, or how do you not worry about being rejected? Friends, the only way to do that is being filled more and more and more with the love of God. Being filled with the reality of how much God loves you. More and more and more, you have got to receive that you are loved by God. And when that happens, those other things will have less power over you. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. It casts out, out, out worry. So focus on Jesus, who is the only one who will ever love you perfectly. Fo focus on him. And that will make you spiritually strong, spiritually healthy. You know, one of the things that's true about emotionally healthy people is they don't worry very much about disapproval of others. They don't live their life for the approval of everybody else. Uh, emotionally healthy people don't worry a lot about being rejected by others. They, they, they don't live there. And spiritually, emotionally healthy people know that they are loved by God. Again, back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us this. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So, don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Friends, there's two words in there that that passage contrasts and compare and it's the word worry and it's the word worship now when you come under hostility for your faith you're going to do one of those two things you're going to you're going to be afraid you're going to worry or you're going to worship the lord you can you can worry or worship you can get panic or you can pray you can focus on the problems and the persecution or you can focus on god and here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, turn your attention away from the pressure and on to God. Look at Jesus. Worship Jesus. A third 
action we need to engage when we're facing hostility for our faith is this. Don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't be embarrassed. Don't get shocked. Don't, don't give in to worry. And, and don't be embarrassed. Never be embarrassed for doing what God's word calls you to do. Jesus asked this question in the passage that uh, is our anchor passage today. Matthew 5, verse 13. He says, if, if you lose your flavor, if salt loses its flavor, what will happen to the world? Man, that's a powerful question. If all Christians lost their flavor, what would happen to the world? And so Jesus goes on to instruct us, don't hide your light. Let, let your light shine. Don't be ashamed of the light. Shine it for Jesus, your reflection of his love. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, God's word says, If you suffer because you are a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't, don't be embarrassed. Uh, don't be ashamed of it. But thank God that you bear Christ's name. Thank God that you're called a, a, a Christian. If somebody insults you, have you ever been insulted? Raise your hand. Okay. Did it kill you? It, it, it doesn't. It, 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 it won't do that. You know, if, if somebody, you know, puts a label on you, labels you, you know, one of those crazy Christians, a heretic, a Jesus lover, will that kill you? No, it's not going to kill you. You know, Jesus says, take a stand here. It won't kill you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shocked or worried. Friends, if, if you grab hold of this, this next statement, it can actually liberate your life in many ways. You don't need, need the approval of others if you have the approval of Jesus and his dad. If you have the approval of Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, you don't need the approval of people. You, you won't need it. You'll quit trying to live your life for the approval of anybody but, but God. You'll live for this audience of one. And quite frankly, if you're trying to live for the approval of everybody else, you're never going to find what God created you to be. Never. You're going you're to miss it your whole life. If I truly gave myself over to worrying about what everybody that comes here thought. I'd never get out of bed. I'd be depressed deeply because I know I let you guys down all the time. And I can't give myself over to that. And instead of worrying about what other people think about you, you got to do what Peter says here, 1 Peter 5, 9. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. You're in good company, man. You're in good company. See, when, when we suffer for our faith, it actually makes us part of a great community of believers all over the world. And it's happened for 2,000 years. Maybe later on today, not right now, but maybe later on today, you want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 11. Read that, that great chapter, that great faith chapter, Heroes of Our Faith and What They Endured. It, it's actually incredible. Don't, don't ever, 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 ever let somebody ridicule you to the point of not living for Jesus. 1 Peter 3.17 says, It is far better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Now, friends, sometimes suffering that you were going through, it's God's will for you. Now, I know there may be some churches out there that won't teach that. You know, that, that kind of teach that health, wealth, prosperity thing that, you know, that God never wants anybody to ever have any struggles uh, on this planet. No, no, no suffering whatsoever. But that's not, that's not the truth of God's word. Sometimes it is God's will for us to in, endure suffering. In fact, nobody's going to get out of this world without some suffering so suffer in 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 god's will you know 
Suffer that way and not because of dumb mistakes you and I make. Suffer for, for God's will. And this leads us to the fourth action that we got to engage if we're going to rightly handle hostility to our faith. Number four, you got to recall the real problem. you got to see and recall the real problem, and the real problem is Satan. That's, that's what the, the real source of all hostility towards believers, that, that's the source. He's the one that opposed Jesus himself. Now, it is almost always going to feel like it's coming from that person or that person or that person, that person where you work, you know, that, 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 that political party, that, that other competitor, or maybe another religion. But it's not that other person. That source that you feel that's trying to pressure you into being silent, that source that you feel that's trying to keep you from not standing up for what is right, not... not proclaiming publicly that you, you love Jesus and that you follow him, that pressure is really coming from Satan. And it's been going on for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Again, in our text today, Jesus said in Matthew 5, your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets in the Old Testament felt this persecution. It, it's the same source. It's, it's satanic attacks. Friends, it's not on, going to come up on the screen, not in your notes. God took me to this later this weekend. Uh, in, in, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And that's the, that includes the sister in two, okay? It includes all believers. That's, he, he's the accuser. He is, his job description is to put you down. And he does that because he, he knows he can't get to God. He can't get to our Father. So what does he do? He comes after the Father's children. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a mama go on the offensive because somebody has attacked their children or their grandchildren. But there's a reason there's this conversation about a mama bear. Because claws come out. God hates it when his children are being attacked by the enemy. And one day he's going to put it all right. He's going, he's going to do that. But we have got to understand today what that source comes from. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. It says, put on the whole armor that God gives you so that you will be able to stand against the devil's evil tricks. For we are not fighting against human beings. That's why we're never going to make a significant difference at the ballot box. We're only going to make a difference as hearts are changed. We're not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, powers of this dark age. People of God, we got to grab hold of that reality. we got to understand that truth. See, Satan knows it's dumb to try to attack Jesus directly. He, he tried that once. It didn't work. It didn't work. Fail, failed miserably. But today, Satan is coming after God's children. And he's using media and music and movies and comedians, anything he can to ridicule followers of Jesus. Anything he can. And the Bible tells us, here's what we have to do to face this. Paul writes to his protege in 2 Timothy 2. He says, again, I say, pay attention to this, folks, please. He says, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Friends, it doesn't say it there, but I'm going to add a caveat. I know you shouldn't add the scripture, but I, just contextually, that includes online. That includes on Facebook and Twitter. It says, don't get involved. <laughs> now, look at what it says next. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Don't get into those quarrels, those fights. You need to highlight that verse, underline that verse, put 47 asterisks around it. Don't give in to those kinds of quarrels. But instead, be kind to everyone. Be patient with difficult people. Anybody got some of them in their lives? Be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. That's the pathway for that change to happen. And they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape 
the devil's trapped. See, they're trapped right now. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he pleases. God is saying those people that you feel like are the source of that hostility, they're not. They're trapped. They're being held captive. See, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God in you, that'd be you. But because we're followers of Jesus, his Spirit is in us, and that makes us strong. We can stand against those things, but without it, people don't stand a chance. They, they don't stand a chance. So God's Word says they're just tools being used by Satan. That's why we've got to see the real problem behind the problem, that those who are attacking us are being used, sometimes maybe against our own knowledge. How did Jesus respond when he was attacked? When Jesus was attacked and ridiculed, hanging on the cross. You remember that? Luke chapter 23 records it. He's hanging there on the cross, and he prays, Father, forgive them. Why? They're a clueless bunch. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They're just pawns in, in Satan's hand. They don't know what they're doing. When people attack you at, at school or attack you at work or uh, attack you wherever and are hostile to you because of your faith, they don't know what they're doing. Dear God, please forgive them. Father, forgive them. Friends, in the short time that people walked, that, excuse me, that Jesus walked this earth, nobody was more maligned, more lied about, more ridiculed, more hated than Jesus. So how did he respond? Peter tells us about, he witnessed it, and he reports how Jesus responded. It said, when they hurled their insults at him, this is in 1 Peter 2.23, not coming up, write it down if you want to. Look it up later, 1 Peter 2, 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to God the Father. That verse there leads us to the, the fifth um, engagement when we face hostility, and it's this. We need to reject retaliation. We need to reject, we need to go in saying, I am not going to retaliate. Our actions are not to retaliate. We don't attack back. We, we, we don't do that. And when we don't attack back, that is when we're most like Jesus. That's the moment we're most like Jesus. That's why Jesus can say, blessed are you. Congratulations to you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Jesus says, you're blessed when that happens because I'm at work in you. You're most like me when you don't engage in retaliation to that hostility. And that's what he means when he says later, you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your flavor. If we retaliate, we lose our flavor. He says, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine. Don't put it in a, ba a basket. If we retaliate, pff, our light's out. We are most like Jesus. We most display Jesus in those moments. In Romans chapter 12, we read these words from Paul. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. You've got to do everything you can. Now, there are going to be some people you can't live in peace with. There are just going to be some people that are going to be of that ilk. And it will be, but we've got to do everything we can. All that we can. That, that verse goes on to say, never take revenge. How hard is that? Kind of difficult sometimes, isn't it? Not to want to, to take revenge. It goes on to say, leave that to the righteous anger of God. Friends, if you want somebody to get their comeuppance, you don't give it to them. You wait on God to do it. Okay, you wait on, wait on God to do it. God says here, I will pay them back. Let God deal with it. See, the moment we react with retaliation, you surrender control to the other person. You're no longer in control. The Holy Spirit's no longer in control. They're in control if I react with retaliation. No longer do I have any control over what's happening or what's going on next. See, 
we've got to let the Holy Spirit guide us in this. I love what George Washington Carver said. He was a deeply devoted follower of Jesus. He said, I will never allow another man to control my life by making me hate him. Don't let others control you. Don't, don't do it. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You've got to continue to do good, even, even in the face of hostility. Those who suffer according to God's will. We've already said, you know, there, it, it, there are times it's God's will for us to, to face suffering. But we've got to continue to do good. And that leads us to the, the final reply that I want to give you today, the final engagement uh, of action that I want to give you today. And that's when you face hostility, we reply with grace. That needs to be our, our, our response we reply with grace. Don't attack back. Now, this is, this is beyond just refusing not to retaliate. There are a lot of philosophies and other religions that teach don't retaliate. Christianity is one of the few that says, not only don't retaliate, bless. Don't attack back, bless back. Do that that way. Live, live that way. It goes beyond just not retaliating. When you face hostility... Hear the words of Jesus. Let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That good work that's being spoken of right there is giving grace back to attack, is replying with attack. Romans 12, 21 tells us, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, there is this mindset that says, you know, I can, I can make the world a brighter place if I blow out everybody else's candle. There's just this people who think, you know, that I'll, I'll do that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says let your light shine. Don't, don't try to blow out anybody else's candle. Let your light shine. And your light sh never shines brighter than when you reply to hostility as you follow Jesus. You reply with the grace of Jesus. Jesus tells his followers in Luke chapter 6, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Is there anybody here today other than me that wishes that wasn't in the Bible? I mean, there are just days, I'm just being honest. I wish Jesus hadn't said that. Because it's so stinking hard. It's just so stinking hard, hard to do. And there have been days when I walked in my flesh that I attacked back. But then there have been days when I responded to an attack with grace. And there's never been a moment where immediately that person repented, fell on their knees, and asked for forgiveness. But here's what has happened. Months, sometimes years later, some have, not all, but I've had people come back and ask for forgiveness for that moment. Just ask me to forgive them for that moment. Because I replied with grace. And folks, your light never shines brighter than you when you reply with grace to a hostile attack. You'll never be more like Jesus than in a moment like that. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Don't lose your flavor. And let your light shine. Let's pray. Father, we come desiring as your people to bring you great glory. We want to glorify our Father in heaven and your word tells us that there's no way for us to do that. There's no way for us to shine brighter or flavor more richly this world than how we handle hostility for our faith. 
Your word tells us that we are blessed if we will make ourselves available to handle and deal with hostility, if we will make ourselves available to follow you, if we will show ourselves as lovers of Jesus, followers of Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and for the very first time you've heard that Jesus is the Son of God who has a plan for your life, and He has a plan for, for good and beauty on this earth that is so wrecked, so wrecked by sin and unrighteousness. And maybe you're thinking, I want, I want to be able to face darkness. I want to be light in darkness. I want to be able to flavor the world with goodness. Friends, you only do that from, with Jesus living in you. And he said you can come into his kingdom no matter what you've done or who you did it with or how long you did it. If you'll just come to him, put your trust in him, and choose to live in his kingdom and his kingdom ways, you'll follow him. But what most of us, the word from God today is for us, let your light shine in the midst of hostility. Be salt, flavor, richly this broken world in the midst of hostility. Make your heart and life available to me. And you'll get to see good things happen even in the midst of the brokenness of this world. And so we want to close our time together in worship. We don't want to worry, we want to worship. We want to recommit ourselves afresh to telling God, God, we are available. We're going to follow you. We're going to let our light shine. We're going to not let our salt be unflavored. We're going to shine and flavor for you, God. We're available. And so we come to worship you now. Give ourselves back to you, all of us to you, all that we are, all that we have. We come to worship you now because you are so good to us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen.